Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Butterfly Kisses, A Journey of Spiritual Transformation. I am your host, Amy Gray Cunningham. And once again, thank you so much for joining me for another fabulous, wonderful episode. Today, I know you are absolutely going to love Kim Harner. She talks about the best ways to support your loved ones who are grieving. She shares her story of grieving and offers tips on how to be there for someone you love in their time of need. One of the biggest lessons that Kim learned is that most people don't know what to do or say when they know someone who is grieving. This can be various, this could be for various reasons. And one of the main reasons is we just simply don't have the tools or the knowledge to know how to help. So Kim offers tips on what not to say to someone who is grieving, as well as suggestions on how to be more specific and helpful when offering support. She also stresses the importance of continuing to support your loved ones in their second year of grieving, when many people have already moved on. If you're looking for ways to support your friend or your loved one who is grieving, who is grieving this episode is a must to watch. So please stay with me and join me here in just a second. Next Sunday, I talk with Rachel Joy, who is a fascinating woman and is very passionate about helping all women claim their power to become unstoppable in their pursuit of their dreams. <laughs> Rachel takes a unique approach to generate freedom in her clients' lives. She stresses the importance of the mind-body connection, which is the foundation to anything that you want to create in life or in your business. So please join me next Sunday, October 2nd at 9 a.m. for this fascinating interview with Miss Rachel Joy. And as always, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple or whatever app you are listening to this podcast on. And then also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok. All the links are provided in the show notes for you. And also, if you want to, please subscribe to my weekly newsletter. You can do so at butterflykissespodcast.com. This way you won't miss it when a new episode is available. And if you also like what you hear today on Butterfly Kisses, please leave me a review and five stars would also be very welcome. So thank you. And remember to please share this episode with your friends and family, because when we can inspire others to shine their light, the bigger impact we can make on the world. Thank you all for joining me today. And please help me welcome Miss Kim Harner. Kim Welcome and thank you for joining us. And I can't wait to hear your story. This is going to be so awesome. Well, thank you for inviting me here. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. And especially because I know that you are early in your loss journey. And I hope that, you know, what I say here can help other people really understand how to support someone who's grieving. Yes, it is. This past year has been very interesting. Interesting is a good word. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it's been very eye-opening. It has taken me down a a path I'd never thought that I would go down. Well, I knew I would eventually go down. I just didn't realize it would be as soon as it was. Right, right. The death through your part was supposed to happen at age 85 or 90. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It was not what I had planned. Exactly. Um, But things happen when they do for a reason, I think. So it is as I always say, it is what it is. And we 
keep on keeping on. And um, I still feel Chuck with me all the time <clears throat> and in many different ways. And he helps out with his podcast on a weekly basis. And he helped out with, <laughs> helped out with your plumbing as well. Recently. He did. He yes. did recently help out with the plumbing <laughs> and you know what? He stepped up and he, he definitely bless his heart. He, <laughs> he is still helping out from the other side and there's no rest for the weary on that, especially, <laughs> especially when I'm yelling at him. <laughs> yep, exactly. You can still continue those arguments, even though one person is not necessarily responding the way that they used to. But he yeah. he did he did help out and he did he did take care of it and now if I can only get him to take the trash out every Tuesday that would be know, quite a miracle. I'm I'm still waiting on that. Yeah. <laughs> waiting to figure that one out. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, so tell us about your story. Sure. So my story starts with my my husband was six foot six tall. I'm five foot six, so he was a whole foot taller than me. We were living in Los Angeles, had three young children, and he showed up one day, almost it feels like that way, with a large B-cell lymphoma stage four. So there, for those of you who don't know anything about cancer, there's no stage five. Stage four is the worst. It means that it's spread all over the body. So he he pretty much, we, we had a, an unset agreement that my job, his job was to fight the cancer, and my job was to hold everything else down. And so that's really what we did for seven months. He was entangled with cancer. And I use the word entanglement because really grief or cancer or or any type of illness, it's, it's an entanglement. It's not a battle. He was entangled with cancer for seven months and then he was cancer free. And we started to rebuild our lives. We didn't understand that cancer free didn't mean lack of, like we thought it meant you were like really free and it, we had a lot of repairing to do. We had some work on our marriage to do. We had children who had to be taken care of. We had to, there were lots of side effects that my husband was dealing with from the drugs that he was on. Kind of rolled forward, kept getting negative tests over and over and over again, feeling better, feeling like, okay, this is, this is behind us. And then less than two years later, the cancer came back and four months after that, he died. Our kids. Yeah, it was not a, it was a, it was a, you know, I often roll it off my tongue very quickly because it happened 13 years ago. But when I sit down and think about it, it was horrific. It was a horrific experience as Amy, you know, you know, death is horrific. Death of someone you care about, death of someone who you expect to live the rest of your life with is horrific. At that time, people were doing, people did a lot of really nice things for us. And people did things that were not helpful for us. And I started just sort of taking little notes about it. And after he died, people really stepped up their game and some people stepped up their game in a good way. And some people stepped up their game, game in a bad way. And a couple of years afterwards, I just held this, felt this need to write all these tips down because something I realized after I got through my resentment, because I had a lot of resentment that people, you know, my husband's dying or died and you're all wrapped up in your head and you can't do anything. Like I had to get past that resentment. I realized that most people didn't know what to do. 
or what to say. And it wasn't that they were mean or trying to ignore the situation. They just didn't know what to do. And so I wanted to write a book to help all of them. And actually, honestly, I wrote it for myself so I could remember (laughs) what to do and what to say when someone else in my life is going through a hard time, right? Mm -hmm. So I wrote the book, 100 Acts of Love, A Girlfriend's Guide to Loving Your Friend Through Cancer or Loss. And I wrote it in a way that it was really, I wanted to make it really accessible. And then I started working on that. And then I took a left turn because I went back to work in the HR field. I'm an HR professional. And what I noticed was if people, regular people don't know what to do or what to say, why on earth do we think HR is going to know what to do or what to say or how to support a manager? So there are tons of managers out there, especially middle managers who are who have an employee who has lost their life and the company can't really give them guidance. They don't know how to put back together the team. The team is falling apart. There are plenty of employees out there who are dealing with, with cancer. No one knows what to do or what to say. And as a result, it ends up most of the time, it really ends up hurting the team. It ends up hurting employee engagement. It ends up hurting just that kind of support and compassion that that business places are need to kind of share and, and pour out when employees are suffering. So now I work on consulting with HR teams and managers on helping them deal with loss in the workplace and cancer in the workplace and really kind of any other kind of health crisis in the workplace that is disruptive. Why do you think it is that we don't know how to or know what to say to people who are going through death? It's because it's we all skipped that class that was given to us in high school. <laughs> <laughs> None of us went. <laughs> I think Free mom, forget- it wasn't only me that skipped class. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think it's because... So, you know, my, my big theory is we've removed a lot of things from regular life. So a hundred years ago, people died and they died in the home and there was a wake held in the home and you saw the dead body and the dead body was upstairs or downstairs in the main bedroom. You know what I mean? So we were used to the conversation. We had the conversation. And I recently did some interesting study and some interesting research. And it seems like the death conversation changed after after the civil war, because there was so much death. Interesting. And so, yeah. So, but I think the bottom line is we have just never been taught and we do what our parents did mm-hmm. and we just kind of repeat it. And then when we get into these situations there, are, now that we have these platforms out here, we can speak out and say, Hey, you know, that thing that you said, if you need anything, let me know. Worst thing ever. I can tell you why we'll go into that in just a minute. Mm-hmm. So people are now paying attention and now that you can look online and go like, what do I say to my friend with cancer? So we now have the resources. So I think we're actually even more aware that we don't know than we were before we had the internet and before we had the, before we had the, the opportunity to communicate the way we do now. Mm-hmm. So what is the number one worst thing to say to someone who is going through the grieving process? Okay. This is going to hurt a lot of y'all. Cause I know most it, like, I'm pretty sure there's not a person out there who hasn't said it. And it is, if you need anything, let me know. And any variation of that term of that phrase. And look, we all say it because we think that it's the most helpful thing to say. We're, we're volunteering. Like if you need anything, let me know. But there are three reasons it's not helpful. The first reason is, what is anything? 
I had, to- I had a toddler y'all my- when my husband was diagnosed the first time. Did anything mean to my single friends with their beautiful Mercedes Benz that they were going to go pick up my vomiting toddler at preschool? I, I don't think that's what they meant. Or did they mean they were going to run and get me a gallon of milk? Right. Did anything meant for my friend whose mother was dying? Did anything mean that you would sit and read to a dying woman? Some people are really uncomfortable with that. Or did anything meant mean that you'd go walk the dogs? Right. So anything is too big a word. And even in the moment, you do mean anything because you're, you're, you have so much love and passion, compassion and you really want to help. When you walk away from that conversation, you actually don't mean anything. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when you say anything, you are actually putting the pressure on the person who is already out of their mind, does not have 52 cards in the deck. You are putting the pressure on them to to take apart their day specifically and find that one anything. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's sort of like when someone says, Hey, can I help you? And you go, um, um, no, I think I'm good. And then you walk away five minutes later and you think of 50 things that person could have helped you with. So it's just too big. You're asking someone who's under this immense pressure to pull apart their day and to find the one thing that you might be willing to help with. And then the third reason it's not helpful is because let's just say that you do. Let's just say that the person figures out the one thing that they need. Now you're asking this person who is in an extremely vulnerable state, like their life has been turned upside down. They are feeling out of their minds. You're asking them to approach you to do something that you may not want to do and risk one of two things. One, you saying no, or two, you going, ah, okay, I'll do it. But you're only doing it because you said you'd do anything, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so there's just, you know, most people will not respond to that. So if you've said that to your friend and you're like, why hasn't he called me or why hasn't she asked me to do something? It's because it's just too big. The best thing you can do is be as specific as possible and offer more than once. So like I said, my kids were young. We lived in Los Angeles and our kids went to different schools. And so one, one of the fathers of my of a son who went to preschool with my youngest said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to organize carpool for you so that your kids are going to be picked up every single day. And he did this for the young, he did this for my son, but he also did it for my two older children. So he was the carpool organizer and that's what he did. And he did a great job at it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was very specific. It was exactly what I didn't even think I was thinking to myself, oh, no, I'll I'll drive my kids to school every day. And there was just no way I could do that while carting my husband, you know, 45 minutes north of us to get to get his cancer treatment and dealing with all the stuff that comes with cancer treatments. I couldn't do it. But had he not offered, I wouldn't have thought of it. So the more specific you are, the better off it is when you, when you want to offer support. One of the things that probably would have helped me tremendously is somebody just showing up to take my trash out for me because yes. I always forget to do that. And I, as the trash guy was going by, I'm like, damn, I yep. to take the trash out again. Exactly. I think that's, and I think that's really what I want to stress for people. Sometimes we think when we want to support someone who's grieving, like you and I, like you are, and I was, am, I'm not sure what verb to use in there. (laughs) (laughs) Some days I'm not, some days I am, (laughs) Um, is it's simple things that really make the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. Now, one day my neighbor, Nate walked up the street, knocked on the door and said, when was the last time the oil was changed in your car? And I'm like, that was what we considered a man job, right? That was my Mm -hmm. husband's job. 
I couldn't even tell him the light was yellow, red, or green. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll change the oil for you tomorrow. Just text me when the keys are in the mailbox and I'll come up and get the car. And I said, just his offer was a huge lift off my shoulders. I didn't realize it was sitting on my shoulders until he said it. Mm-hmm. So he comes up, gets the car. I notice the car is gone for a little while. I come back the next day. I go outside to get the kids in the car. We're going someplace. And I walk outside and I stop and I look at the car because he's cleaned the outside of the car. And then I open up the car and the inside is spotless. He's cleaned the outside and the inside of the car. And with three kids, the inside of that car was not clean. (laughs) Then I turn the car on and not only has he had the oil changed because the light is back green, he's filled it with gas. And it was such a simple, I mean, it took him an hour, maybe an hour and a half. He decided to do this all on his own. It was such a simple and sweet gesture that I talk about it all the time. And sometimes I still cry when I think about it because what he did with that simple act was he took so much pressure off of me. And I think what people don't understand is when you're grieving or when you're going through a crisis, doing the normal things takes Herculean effort because your mind is someplace else. Mm -hmm. So walking the dogs takes effort. Taking out the garbage takes effort. And as you go through the grieving process, it takes less and less effort. And sometimes you don't end up crying on the sidewalk because your husband used to do this and you're still really pissed that he's not here. Right. Mm -hmm. So that happens along the way, but there's is these little things that really take effort. And it's not just in the first year. I really want your audience members to know that when someone's grieving, showing up in the second year is really helpful because there were nights I couldn't cook. And knowing that there was a meal in the refrigerator, there were nights that I just, I couldn't take the garbage out. I totally forgotten. You're right. And my neighbor would knock on the door and go, Hey, I I saw your garbage is not, you want to take, you might want to like, get that out. Let me do it for you. Right. There are so many things that our minds are mush when, when some, when we go through Mm -hmm. grief and that mush doesn't start really fully reorganizing itself until year two. And so that's, you know, you still need that help. So for anyone who's like, oh my gosh, I didn't help in the first six months, you're actually in a golden spot. Get in there and help now. Because with grief, the first three months, everyone's in your business. Everyone's there, everyone's helping, everyone's in it. And then in three to six months, some people die off. And then when you get, when you're nine months, a lot of people die off. You get to the year, people think, okay, so we all have in our head a year is like the magic number. And I don't know if that comes from the Jewish tradition as years when you put the headstone on years. Mm-hmm. So it could, it could kind of perforate it into ours, you know, and to ours general society psyche that a year is it. And then you're back to normal. And that's just so far from the truth. Yeah. So helping in small little ways is so important. You don't have to, we don't need meals for the next year. We do need pasta for tomorrow. <laughs> Very true. Very true. So what was the biggest lesson that you've learned going through all of this? I think the biggest lesson I've learned is how important I am to other people. And what I mean by that is the small thing that I can do for somebody else matters, right? I think we all play small. Sometimes we forget how important we are to the person we smile at every day, to the 
the guy who's walking down the street with his dog who you stop and chat with every day, to the grocery clerk, to the people at work, to our neighbors. We forget that a smile or a kind gesture really matters. And that's the lesson that I learned because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. And my kids wouldn't be as okay as I think, and I hope they are, if people hadn't shown up, if people hadn't said what I do for them matters, right? I honestly believe that part of the reason my husband was able to die, like, and I do mean like he went peacefully, was able to die was because he kind of felt that we were in good hands. He felt like, you know what? She's really, she's much stronger than she thinks she is. The kids are going to be okay. And they have, we have a community that's going to take care of them. And so I feel like he went knowing that we were going to be taken care of. What an amazing gift that is. Mm-hmm. You know, what it is, what a gift it is to know that you person, stranger, have the power to make someone feel good and important or to decrease just a little bit. You're never going to take away their grief or what's happening in their lives, mm-hmm. but you do have the opportunity to make it a little bit easier on them, to make their life, to smooth over that one tiny pothole. And so that's, that's what I learned through this process. I think that is one of the things that helped Chuck go as peacefully as he did. It was very quick and sudden, but I think it helped him as well because he knew that we would all be taken care of as well, because we do have such a good support system and family and and all that. So and even his his law firm that he worked for was was right there helping and supporting and they were very supportive after he had passed so i couldn't have asked for anything better but what about yeah. your kids how are how are they doing and what do you think was the biggest lesson they learned through all of this so my kids were 12 9 and 7 when when he died my oldest my oldest and youngest i've two boys and a girl in the middle my son had just turned 12 and my other son had just turned 7 the month before he died and i think what they learned was one how incredible a community is right because they also had their groups of friends came around them And they supported them through their journey, as well as the teachers. It was really sort of amazing to watch the schools step up and really understand. And unfortunately, we had a we had had two deaths in one of the elementary schools where my where my two children were. So the school had practice on on what to do, but they really stepped up and the kids stepped up. So I think that they learned the importance of a community. Mm-hmm. And they have, I, I often tell them this, that dented, like dented hearts find other like dented hearts, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, so cool. yeah, so they find, you know, they have friends whose parents have died. One in 20 student, one in 20 kids under the age of 18 lose, their par- lose a parent or a guardian. So they're, they're, they're not, it's not as rare as you think, but it still feels really rare when it happens in your community. And one of the things I see in them, which just always blows me away is they have this softness. Now, my boys are six feet tall, strong, strapping young men. And they have this softness in them that blows me away. During the senior year of my oldest, one of the students he was on the football team with committed suicide. And the team didn't know what to do. They're like, what do we do? What do we do? And my son was like, here's what we're going to do. And he walked them through the process of here's how we're going to show up. 
I've heard my daughter on the phone with her friend, you know, whose parent died way after her dad died and just listening and hearing and talking and, and honoring that conversation instead of going, well, at least this and trying to fix it. Right. She just listened. And my youngest, even at the age of nine, they had, they put up a memorial. The teacher kind of responded to my youngest son's need to memorialize something. And so he went around the room, making sure that everyone had an opportunity to put something up on the board. And people were like, my gold, I'm sad that my goldfish died. You know, I'm sad that my grandfather died. So, but he didn't say, oh, well, goldfish isn't the same as my father. He did say, okay, make sure you put that up there. Right. Cause he understood the power of at the age of eight, he didn't have words for that, but he understood the power of being recognized of having a loss honored and being recognized. So I think that my kids are softer or just because of that experience, they are kinder and more sympathetic than, than the average, I don't know if there is an average 20 year old, but I just, I just feel like they have just this, this sweetness in their hearts that people, that they just give people that they, they know that what's, they know that what they're seeing is not necessarily what is real. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting to me especially going through this past year with my husband passing. And I've had family members who have passed growing up, my, my dad, my grandmother, that, that sort of thing. But my husband has been the most traumatic in my life. Yes. Losing, losing him. But how can we as a society, as a group, in your opinion, make... And I don't know if I'm going to ask this question correctly, so I'm just going to ask it. Make death or dying more of a normal process of living. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you worded it perfectly. I think it comes to us recognizing our feelings. I think that we're really bad at it. We don't like to feel bad. And so we often run from it. I mean, that's why we say the phrase, if you need anything, let me know. Or we say, at least it's not da, 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 because we're trying so hard not to connect, right? We're so terrible. We, as a general, I think we're really afraid of, of sitting with you and saying, Amy, like, or, or someone in law office calling you and say, you know, Amy, I really miss Chuck. I just want you to know, I'm just thinking about him today. And I remember this time he did this at work and it was just so funny and I just really miss him. And I just wanted you to share. I just wanted you to share that story. We're so terrified of getting to that level. Mm -hmm. And until we can really get to the place where we can have, look, death is part of life, right? I mean, there's, (laughs) my husband died the day after taxes, April, he died on April 16th. And I know he's pissed. Because he died at 1.16 a.m. And he would have loved to have died on April 15th because he would have been death of taxes. You know, <laughs> two things you can't avoid. I mean, he that's a sense of humor. He's I know he's still mad about that. He's like, damn it, Bonnie, why couldn't you shut down a little bit earlier? <laughs> so, that's hysterical. So, I love that. Yeah, that's that's who he was. So I think we need to take the time to, it's okay, they're just feelings. That feeling of loss is scary and uncomfortable, but when you express it, and especially to someone who's gone through loss, when you sit and listen, 
that's where that connection comes in. We're so crazy for connection. We're like, we're going to get on Bumble and find that right person. We're going to do this. And I'm going to connect with my kids by just, you know, every by forcing myself <laughs> in their lives, right? <laughs> but what we don't realize is the connection is not about an actual action. The connection is about the feeling, right? Mm-hmm. It's about going, Amy, a year is coming up. Mm-hmm. I'd love to take you to dinner on day 366 mm-hmm. as a way of just honoring the fact that you got to day 366, mm-hmm. right? It is crying sometimes. Now, I want to be very cautious with this. Please don't go crying on the widow's shoulder who's newly widowed and be like, oh my God, I can't believe your husband died. Like, don't, don't be doing that. <laughs> That's so not right. But it is okay to call with a memory and to say, you know, I miss him too. Right. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel that hurt and that loss because that hurt and loss makes us better, more connected human beings. So I don't know if that's real. That's not, that's sort of a very nebulous answer. There's not like, st- I mean, there are steps you can take to feel more connected and, and allow those emotions to come. But man, we just gotta let those emotions come because that elephant is not getting any smaller. Mm-hmm. Right. For those people who showed up for us, the elephant kind of shrunk for those people who didn't show up for us. They feel like, oh my God, I did not show up for them two years ago. And, you know, <laughs> tell a really quick story. I had someone come up to me two years after my husband died. And she said, I'm so sorry. I didn't do anything. I'm so sorry. I didn't help. I feel really awful. I just, I just couldn't get my head around it. You know, it was all about her. I couldn't get my head around it. I just felt so bad. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> and I said, well, that's Okay because he's going to be dead for a long time. And there's still some things that I need. (laughs) So so, look, if you're not part of the death community or don't have that kind of sense of humor, you may find it very crass, but the reality is death is here. It's not going anywhere. It happens all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. And yes, am I, because my husband died, am I like, Hey, death is no big deal. No, I'm terrified. I don't want to die. But I counter those feelings with dying and my fear of dying with my desire and want to connect with people, to feel like I'm a human being, to really enjoy my life. And part of that enjoyment comes in with understanding and sitting with the crappy stuff, with the hard stuff, with the pain, with feeling like it's never, the sadness is never going to end because I know that that's not true. But, you know, I just got to kind of keep going and walking through it. So that's what I would say if you want to have more honest conversations about grief. I also have a real issue with words like passed away, gone, because those are euphemisms for the real hard truth. My husband's dead. Mm -hmm. He's dead. Yes, he passed away. But honestly, underneath all that, he's dead. My kids don't have a father, right? I just want it to be more real and use that language because I think when we use the other language, it kind of pacifies us and makes us kind of think, oh, it's just, it's just death. No, that's really hard stuff. It really hurts. It's really painful. So that would be my ramp. I'm rambling, but that would be my two cents mm-hmm. about, about that. Yeah. I use passed away because, or crossed over because I don't necessarily, I still feel Chuck here. And I still, I kind of feel like he's like just crossed over into the next room or moved into the next room. And yes, he's dead, but his body's dead and his soul, his spirit is still very much here. 
And I know that because his personality still lives on. Right. And because he, he got you the plumber this morning. He got what me you, the plumber. What you all don't know is before Amy and I started recording, she told me this really funny story, how she needed a plumber and how she said she needs it. So her, Chuck was saying, hey, you need it this morning. And the plumber did the plumber. She picked up the, what was it? You picked up the, I won't, I'm not going to tell your story. You tell your story. Sorry. Well, my toilet, my toilet broke and I couldn't fix it myself. And so I got really angry with Chuck and I told him that it was his flipping fault. I didn't quite use the word flipping. I used another word, but I won't do that right now. And that he needed to flip and fix it and get me a flipping, you know, he needed to, he needed to take care of it. So I picked up my phone to call my mother. And when I went to dial her number, when I opened up my phone, it was there for the plumber, the plumber's number. Now, <laughs> how that happened. I don't know. So I looked at him. I was like, yeah. And the effing plumber is going to show up right away. Yeah. Right. Well, the plumber ended up showing up 20 minutes later. And so I heard in my head, was that flipping fast enough for you? (laughs) I love that story. I love that story. So yeah, he, he still has a sense of humor and he still, he still shows up. So absolutely. Um, and he, he got it taken care of. And then I was telling Kim, if he could figure out how to get the trash out every Tuesday, I would be very happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just keep your eyes peeled. I'm telling you one day it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. going to, it's going to be sitting out there and I'm going to be like, wow, how do you do that? <laughs> oh, no. he'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. He's pretty, he's pretty um, inventful. So, but so tell us where can people find your book? 100 acts of love. So they can find that on Amazon or on my website, 100actsoflove.com. And it is the number 100. I also, I'm on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn. Those are my two favorite ones right now, but you can also find me on Facebook and I just am starting a YouTube channel as well. So you can find me there all under 100 acts of love. That is awesome. And I have, I have read parts of it and let me tell you, everyone, it is very spot on with how you can help people who are going through the grieving process, what you can say, the best way to say it, how you can help. And it's very funny. It is very lighthearted. It's very funny. (laughs) It's very spot on. And it doesn't put you on the defensive of you should do this. You should do that. Yes. I wanted to be really careful with that. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's, you know, I designed it in a way that I would want to read it. Yeah. You know, it has what to say, what not to say, and then it's in different chapters. And I designed it as a way that you could open up and be like tip number 48, stock her bathroom. Okay. Got it going. And you could just take the action. I also wanted people to use it as a creative like springboard so that maybe they read it and they're like, none of these work for me. Oh, but this, this isn't a great idea. I just had that, you know, with my, with my person. So I wanted it to, to do that. I did want to also mention that if anyone wants to know what five things never to say, it's titled never to say to anyone with cancer, but it's the same thing with death. They can go to my website at 100xoflove.com backslash what not to say. So no words, I mean, no spacing, but what not to say, and they can download their free download there where they can learn the five phrases never to say why they're so unhelpful. Cause I think that's really important to understand and then what to say instead. So yeah, I will have a link to that as well in the show notes for people. And also on my blog, if anyone is interested in that is so Yes, definitely. Well, thank and you. 
Yes. Well, is there anything else that you would like to leave with our listeners about your book or about your journey, about your experience that I think, I think it's just kind of repeating what I've said before is please do not underestimate your power. You have the ability to help someone through a really difficult time in their lives. And honestly, they may never thank you. I mean, I remember three years after my husband died, I was calling people and thanking them because I could, I didn't remember what they had done. And I took that long for me to clear my head out. But those little things that you do that, that bringing that hot coffee every Tuesday morning or taking out the garbage or calling with a joke every Wednesday, those little things really matter. They really, really matter. So I just want you to please embrace that and show up because that person does need you. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because we will all go through it at one time or another. And yes, we will. And it is, it is definitely something that we need to talk about and we need to, we need to embrace because part of living is dying. Yeah. Yeah. Once we can start embracing that, I think we can really start to truly live as well. Amen. Sister. Yes. One other question I'm going to ask you is if you have an opportunity to sit on a park bench or any bench for that matter, anywhere Mm -hmm. in the world with someone whether that person be on this side of the veil or the other side of the veil, who would it be? And what would you talk about? Oh, wow. <laughs> one of my favorite questions to ask every one of my guests, because I get so many different answers and it really tells me about who they are and what their passion is. So my first instinct is kind of like the big people. Like I'd love to understand how Martin Luther King withstood all the hate. I'd love to understand how Gandhi withstood all the hate. I'd love to talk to Thomas Jefferson and understand what his thinking was when he, you know, he had to author this, this document and he had to take it for those listeners who don't know I'm African-American. So he had to take out the whole slave piece, but he had slave, like, like that type of stuff fascinates me, but honestly, <laughs> I'm going to cry. I'd like to just talk to my husband again. And just kind of say, hey, so here's what's happened in the last 13 years. And you'd be so proud of these kids. You wouldn't recognize them if you passed them on the street, but you were right about your daughter. And, you know, your son's really doing really well. And because of you, he's a nurse. And, you know, like I would just, and I'd like to hold his hand one more time, just to hold his hand. So I think that that's who I'd, that's who I'd like to meet. And also my grandmother. I, my mm-hmm. grandmother, my mother said, I'd love to kind of get her little hugs again. But that's that's what we talk about. We would just talk about, and I tell him all about Google and how much it's changed. He used to love Google. <laughs> so he's like, and he died right when Google started doing the air, where you can, where you now now you do the Google shot, you can see cars and stuff. Yeah. Before that, they were doing this thing where you could zoom in until so you'd come in and zoom down. He loved Google Earth. He loved Google, Google Earth. Yep. He was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So I would like to catch him up on all those things. Like where computers are now this, we take them all over the place, like all these things. He died in 2009. So he doesn't know about all these things that have changed. So I'd like to, you know, so that's, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to talk to him again and just tell him how much he's missed, how, how right he was about me. I'm much stronger than I thought I was, how well his kids are doing and how beautiful they are. And I have actually one thing I would give up my seat for my children. Mm. I really would like them 
to have an opportunity to see him mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So I would give up my seat if he could sit with the three, with, my, with our three children. That would be amazing. Yeah. Ah, I'm in tears. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that one made me cry. Oh, yeah. 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 So. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and you are just a light in the darkness. <laughs> Amy, thank you for having me here today. And, you know, I got you. I know where you are. I know. Yeah. You know, one foot in front of the other, one day at a time. One foot in front. Yep. 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 And just from a widow who's, you know, 13 years out, it's going to get better. It's going to take some time. Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. So So, thank you very much. Really appreciate you. Appreciate your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Butterfly Kisses, a journey of spiritual transformation. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. This way you won't miss it when a new episode is released. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Akashic Record readings, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with me by visiting my website at amygraycunningham.com. Again, thank you. And remember, always spread your gorgeous wings, my friend, and fly. Until next time. See ya.